Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to this episode number 61 of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is with Karen Costa. Uh, really appreciate her uh, taking some time out. It's just a kind of serendipitous uh, social media connection. I've seen her uh, pretty active on Twitter talking uh, all things online and digital education. So really kind of stuck out to me and appreciated uh, kind of her thoughts on that topic. So I wanted to uh, uh, bring her on the show and kind of share her out with everybody and get to know her a little bit better myself. So uh, really enjoyed this uh, conversation. It's a, uh, she's a really great person doing great work, so I'm glad that uh, we could connect and uh, share out all the cool stuff that she's doing and kind of geeking out about. So uh, definitely connect with her and all the things that we mentioned down in the show notes as per usual. Uh, but without further ado, this is episode number 61 with Karen Costa. Well, yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, dive in here. I uh, appreciate you, Karen, uh, making some time for the show here. We're excited to to talk with you, I've kind of just, uh, I feel like it's, it's neat when I kind of stumble across really cool and interesting people on social media and then I'm just like, I would like to talk with you and just being able to make time for that and kind of uh, record and share it out because I think it'll be helpful to, to other folks. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll start off as we always do. If you just want to give a quick introduction of yourself and your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm definitely a higher ed geek, so um, <laughs> I fit right in. Um, I don't know how quick my professional journey is, but um, I'll do my best to summarize. Um, I attended Syracuse for my undergrad and majored in sociology there, and that was kind of by default. Um, so I was a little bit um, unsure of my next steps after college and eventually landed in a college access program in Providence, Rhode Island, helping students gain access to college. So we were working with students on things like college applications, FAFSA, supporting them in their high schools. And that is when I hooked into higher ed as a career. I fell in love with that work. We were taking students to college campuses on college visits. And I loved working with my students and helping them, but I really loved being on a college campus. So I decided to go back and um, did my master's at UMass in higher education and after I graduated from there, I started working in a community college, and I was there for about six years doing a lot of admin work, but I was also teaching at the same time. I think that's something that's sort of been unique in my career is that I have that um, admin experience, but I've also always taught. So very much, um, I hope, building bridges between student affairs and academic affairs in my career. After um, about six years, I had a little one at home and um, it, you know, the center could not hold. So I ended up leaving that full-time position and that's when I started re working remotely, which time flew. That was about eight years ago. So I've been teaching on fully online since then. I've been doing a lot of writing and I also do a lot of faculty development work. So that's where I am today, fully remote and sort of that, as I mentioned to you before, multi-hyphen career, and I would say writer, teacher, faculty development would be the sort of three main categories of that journey. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm also fully remote in a, a admin role, um, just like supporting online programs for a campus. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it increasingly, I think just you know, generally for places recruiting good talent. And I think they're going to, you know, be more remote and, um, certainly with the development of online courses and different things. Um, 
and like I work a lot with success coaches and if you have students in online programs at different times, it's just like, it's just really interesting. I think where a lot of people wouldn't think high red work would start to get more uh, distributed that way that uh, folks like you and then just a myriad of other roles are starting to uh, kind of go in that direction. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, I guess, you know, you said that you're, I guess like a, uh, maybe if it was like the major or where you went, which is kind of like a default option for you for like undergrad. But it's always interesting for folks who work in higher ed to me, like learning like what our stories were. Because obviously it is again, like you kind of find the career either through that experience of like being like a student leader or yeah, like usually like an early job out of uh, undergrad. But I guess anything like any memories of like maybe it was like the, the stuff you were learning in the classroom or other stuff that you did, like that still you know, is resonating with you either like prefer, uh, personally or professionally, um, like any, any memories or experiences, I guess, from back then? Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And of course, I don't think I'm alone. And, you know, when I look back at my undergrad, I would do, <laughs> I would do a lot of things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, if I knew then what I know now, and I would probably be a lot more engaged and take advantage of a lot more opportunities. But what one thing that comes to mind, it's kind of a funny thing. I do a lot of work now on video and I use videos in my online teaching and I help faculty to use videos in their online teaching. And I'm writing a book about how teachers can use video in their, in their teaching. And I actually started at Syracuse. The reason I chose Syracuse was for their broadcast journalism program. And my original plan was to be a news anchor. I had been hooked into the media program in my high school and had the most tremendous learning experiences my junior and senior year. We were basically by senior year, we sort of had our own little television show within the high school and our teacher was amazing and um, really allowed us to be creative. And I thought that was what I wanted to do for my career was to you know, to be on the news. And so I I researched colleges that had great journalism programs and ended up at Syracuse in their new house program. And within, I would say about six weeks, I realized that it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, It was very different than my high school experience, which had been a lot more collaborative. It felt a lot more competitive. Um, It's a great program, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. So I changed my major to undecided. And I've, I've had mixed feelings about that, like wondering if I maybe kind of gave up on that too easily. Um, but I realized a few years ago that, you know, I'm still doing that work um, in my online teaching and my work with faculty. I do, I'm an introvert, but for some reason I really enjoy being on camera and creating videos and it's a real creative outlet for me. Um, it helps me to connect to my students. So it really is a positive collaborative process for me in the way that I do it now. So I was kind of excited when I realized that because I was kind of like, Oh, you know, like would I have gone to Syracuse if not for that? And, you know, did I waste that, that time? And I realized now that, you know, no experiences are wasted and there's a lot of ways to express our talents in the world. I think we're often, you know, drawn to the most obvious. And I thought, Oh, I love being on camera. I must, have to, you know, I'm going to be a news anchor. That seemed like the most obvious path, but there are so many ways that I could use video in my work. Um, online teaching happens to be one of them. So that was a, a good learning experience for me. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad I had that experience and it ended up working out and that I'm still doing it today. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And we actually uh, we have that in common. I did like radio TV stuff in high school as well. Oh. Um, and yeah, it was a very, 
uh, educational experience just like playing around with all the like like semi-pro like you know yeah there's like a little mm-hmm. studio and like doing all the different cameras and um just like filming stuff like off-site but um it's funny that because like when you're saying it and i was thinking back it's like for whatever reason i like never considered doing that as like my major in college or anything why i don't know but it's similarly mm. like maybe like subconsciously I always perceived it as sort of like a hobby like that I just enjoy doing it and I enjoy like you know I took some like film classes in terms of just like you know talking about movies or whatever um but then now like you're doing a podcast and like just of course in the space, it's like still scratching that itch I guess but um yeah so it's neat just reflecting and yeah like kind of making sense of just like yeah like like was this a complete waste should I have done it all differently it's like you know what no it was it was meaningful yeah. it was fun I you know I got a lot out of it and just kind of taking taking those lessons where, where you can take them but um, well, I guess now, you know, that kind of brings you, you know, back to the present in your current work and, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of different things, like you said. And, um, I guess like, this is where I guess we can dig in maybe look with, with specifically like what you enjoy most about the different things that you do and then kind of an and or of like working remotely obviously is a, a unique experience as well. So like, mm. what do you enjoy most about your current work? Like what's keeping you motivated and inspired and, um, you know, what keeps you kind of like, uh, I guess for me too, I'd be curious to like, connected to a greater higher ed community because I think I, I do a couple of different things but I also really try to value like the time I have in person with other like higher ed folks so um, I don't mm. know just like your current world and how you kind of make sense of it and make the most of it and kind of thrive and stay like motivated like you know what you're enjoying about it yeah um there's a lot to unpack there so I think one of the things that I enjoy most about what I'm doing now is that I kind of, I kind of created it myself. So, um, you know, I think a lot of us, and I used to do this, have thought in terms of job descriptions. And I think Mm. that is shifting. And we live in a world now where we can, I don't even like know if I want to use the word career, we can create a life, you know, um, Mm. the lines in my life between work, you know, that phrase work life balance, like, that just doesn't, apply to me. Um, so I've really been able to create a life for myself where I am doing things that I am good at and that serve the greater good. Um, I, I think that might be something called purpose. (laughs) Um, I'm still, I'm still a work in progress there, but I'm able to really be intentional about, uh, figuring out, the things that I want to invest my time in and also constantly weaving in the other pieces of my life, wellness, time with family, my dog, reading. Um, it's really important for me that I spend time doing those things each day and I've been able to create that life for myself. Um, so that is exciting for me and I, I'm excited to see where that takes me. I would also say that what got me into higher ed was this idea that it could transform people's lives for the better. Um, I started out, like I said, working in a college access program. So I worked with students who, what we might call non-traditional students, I now call them new traditional students, many of them, you know, first generation college students. And I believed then and I believe now that when we help people gain access to college and we create pathways for success, that it is transformational. So um, higher ed has always been sort of social justice work for me. 
um, and it continues to be. And I've been able to, again, weave that into all of the work that I do, whether it's working with students in my teaching, whether it's working with faculty, whether it's writing, I hope that I'm able to keep that at the forefront, that I'm, I'm doing this work so that people can live happier and healthier lives. Um, in terms of working remotely, um, some of the most obvious benefits to that are um, that I have, a t- you know, I have a ton of flexibility. I make time most mornings to get to the gym. I wasn't able to do that when I was working you know, in a typical nine to five. I can take my dog for a walk in the middle of the day. I have many, many pairs of sweatpants that are my work uniform. Um, so, you know, you, I probably take that for granted sometimes how awesome that flexibility is, but, um, it, it really is pretty awesome that I can, you know, meet those personal needs and have that sort of relaxed atmosphere. As I mentioned, I'm an introvert, so I can find a balance between taking that time that I need for myself, but also, Um, I'm absolutely very intentional, increasingly so this year, about connecting with people online through LinkedIn, through Twitter, and then taking those conversations uh, that maybe are happening on LinkedIn, for example, into, you know, a Zoom chat or whatever, um, which I've been doing more this year. So I've been, it's been really cool. 2019, for some reason, I've been really building a lot of positive connections with people that I've never met in person. So that balances out, um, you know, some of that isolation, which is one of the downsides of working remotely. Um, but it's been really fun to explore that and be a little bit more intentional about it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still feel like, I mean, it's not even been a year for me yet. So I think I'm I'm still in the process of figuring out, but I do have the self-awareness of like those kind of areas that I need to address of like, making kind of mindful intentional uh, outreach and just getting out of the house to do things and those sort of things because yes. I've really like the house. yeah like I've because <laughs> yeah like I, I walk my dog and I do certain things and like I think yeah there's like the the comfort and just the ease and like you don't have to worry about commuting and those sort of things and just like you can be like the flexibility comes with like yeah if I need to go to an appointment or do something I can do that and then just kind of pick up where I left off no worries and then also just like um be productive when I am the most productive versus like, yeah, like you got to commute and there's stress with that. And you got to like nine to five in the office every day, no matter what, like it can be like, well, you know, let me pop on, you know, at different hours. Cause I like, you know, slept in or whatever. Like I can really dictate my own schedule and be productive yeah. when it makes sense for me and be comfortable and, um, have all my stuff here and all that. So, um, yeah, so it's definitely like a huge, huge value. And then that, the idea that like, it's not as if I had to sacrifice, you know, it's the same for you. Like you didn't have to sacrifice any professional goals. Like you're still doing meaningful work in the field that you want to work in and all that. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, just, I, I really hope to, like, I, I believe it, it is already happening. I hope it continues to happen. I hope more people can kind of, uh, partake if they so choose. It's certainly not for everybody, but, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's awesome. Um, like well, as you know, you you know identified as a higher ed geek, which is great. I appreciate uh, you know as many other folks uh, adopting that moniker as possible. Um, so I guess if it is like anything that you're really connecting with, uh, you know, professionally or just more personally that you feel like are just kind of informing your uh, kind of existence as a human or your work or anything like that that maybe isn't like directly higher ed related, but um, yeah, like what's capturing your attention right now? Like what are you geeking out about currently? And if it's like new stuff or things that you're revisiting or um, you know, anything like that, like stuff you do for fun, um, whatever way you kind of want to, want to take that. Yeah. So, um, 
I've been diving into the word that's coming to mind is relationships. So I've become increasingly curious about the role of the faculty student relationship in online learning. And I've been, I've noticed that since I started teaching online and I started teaching online in 2006, I, I knew then sort of intuitively that the relationships that I built with my students were critical to their success. Um, and it felt like I was also teaching, I've also taught face to face and hybrid and dual enrollment, but Mm -hmm. it felt particularly important in those online classes to be intentional about building those relationships. And in the past few years, I've started to, you know, notice more and more research coming out showing that the faculty student relationship in the online learning environment is pretty important. So I'm very curious about that. I, um, if, if folks love podcasts, another podcast, um, it's called Hidden Brain. I listened to this a few months ago, and it really had me geeking out. Um, the I think it's called Birds. The, the episode is called Birds of a Feather, and it's about the research of a guy named Hunter Gelbach. He is an educational researcher. I think he's at Stanford, but maybe moving over to Johns Hopkins. And the study was about how when students and teachers know something about the things they have in common, interests, um, that everyone is generally more successful in their learning experience or their teaching experience. So they studied classrooms where teachers and students knew what those common interests were and where they didn't. Um, And in the first classroom, they were really intentional about sharing those interests between students and teachers. And it was a what was really exciting about that. And when I heard about it on the podcast, it was particularly important for marginalized students to close that achievement gap. So that really got me thinking about how we build relationships with students in online learning. And one of the ways that I do that is through video, but, um, I'm really curious about how, you know, I I have this sense, uh, I've just had a feeling in the past year that online education is sort of moving into a new era. There's, I've been in online education since 2006. So, um, I kind of came in when it was sort of still a bit in its infancy and I've really felt like an energy or a movement and I'm excited about what's to come. And I think one of the things that I want to contribute to this next phase is to support faculty student relationships in the online learning environment. And so I've been reading about um, symbiotic relationships out of the the fields of biology and ecology. And um, one of the words that is really guiding me recently is this concept of mutualism. And um, in a symbiotic relationship, mutualism means both organisms benefit. So I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, the contrast would be parasitism where one, one organism benefits and the other is harmed. Um, so I'm really curious about how, you know, mutualism or that idea could be woven into our work in online education to think about how, um, faculty and student relationships are built and also to focus on, the interdependence of student success and faculty success. That's that's another big one for me. I think um, we talk a lot about student success in higher education, rightfully so. I'm a student success evangelist, but I'm also really curious and passionate about faculty success because I think um, I don't think you can have one without the other. I don't think you can have student success if you don't fa- focus on student success. 
and I also think faculty success matters in its own right. So, um, yeah, those are what I'm geeking out about and reading about and writing about right now. Yeah, very good. Yeah, because I think it, it's like, in my experience, you know, the, it, you know, there can be obviously so many other people that are there as support and resources for a student in an online course, an online program. But by default, like the faculty member is the one like that they kind of have to interact with on a regular basis. And it, so it may be like, want to like maybe they're only or their most kind of uh, salient kind of conduit to be connected and feel like part of a community and feel supported and kind of uh, all those things and you know especially especially for the folks who we would want to provide access to and you know have them have that that feeling and feel uh, kind of empowered and encouraged to persist on all those sort of things so um, yeah it's definitely really important I think it's something that uh yeah, it's like it just doesn't get as much attention or is not as much kind of, uh, you know, not as loud in the kind of the zeitgeist of higher ed, especially in like digital education. There's a lot of stuff that we can do to kind of track student performance and, you know, uh, address it and all those sort of things. But, um, yeah, you must go too far in that direction. And then you're, you're neglecting, I think, another important part of the piece, like you said, with faculty success. And because um, I think it's also like it shouldn't be surprising because I think that's a, a, a fairly understood kind of uh kind of metrics of of success for like on-ground students like faculty interaction is like a positive thing that just you know uh, that's i think pretty pretty straightforward but i guess it's the assumption that when students are in an online course they're not looking for that or something you know like there's some of these like some of this residue that i think we continually have to like uh wash away have a lot of like stigma or just sort of like uh myths about uh digital education mm. um so i feel like that that is one part of it is like oh they don't need to be like feeling like they're part of community that's why they chose to go online it's like no they still like chose this institution for a reason and they want to you know they can there's the potential the capacity for them to have a lot of affinity uh for that institution and i think a faculty member can play uh, a pretty big role in that like i said is kind of one of the uh, few kind of like required or you know repeated continual touch points that they have throughout their program so and it sounds like even just like uh like minimal rapport building like you're saying just like feeling like you know something you have in common with the faculty like yeah it's beneficial like it obviously doesn't have to be like they're, they're meeting one-on-one -on -one every week with every single student it's like no even just like bringing yourself into your classes and like having a personal touch to it um like it sounds like that's what's what's valuable i guess and I would add to that, you know, one of the most common things that I hear from my students at, when I'm teaching online and have been for years is that, that they'll say, I, I didn't know if I was going to even get a chance to talk to my professor or I didn't know if I would get to know you at all. And it was, you know, it was so exciting for me and it improved my experience so much that I got to know you. Um, so I hear I've been hearing that for for years. So it was really exciting for me to, you know, I'm starting to see research that that supports um, the role of that faculty student relationship in student achievement and, um, retention, course completion, persistence, all those good things. And, you know, the other thing I would say is that nobody spends more time with our students than, than faculty. So, um, we've got this huge resource there and, um, I don't think we always acknowledge it. And, and that's not to discount the good work that's going on in other places, but, um, you know, that just seems like a, lo a logical conclusion to me that we have um, the folks who are spending the most time with students have a lot of power to influence them and mm -hmm. support them. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, just bringing themselves to the classes and like video and personal touch and all of that. And then just like 
probably just making themselves available. Like you said, like the students may not feel like they, uh, the faculty are willing to make time or can make time or any of but like really as many do, you know, sort of in person of this whole, you know, kind of open door policy of just being like, you know, please come in, you know, up, like office hours and those sort of things. It's like, just make sure you're also making yourself available, like digitally, like people can book appointments and you have like just standing digital office hours or just like, you know, um, offer that readily as an option if a student you know seems to have a lot of questions or something like just changing a little bit of that sort of because obviously it's super easy just to send a bunch of emails or something or just kind of um i don't know on either side assume it's like well they can't make time or they want to make time or any of those sort of things um but any effort you make in that direction i think is just going to pay dividends so much like you're you're saying so there are so many things we can do there are so many things we can do to you know, connect with students and to build that support system and that relationship. So, um, and a lot of them are, are so simple. Um, they're just a matter of, you know, they're things like telling students, uh, you know, you can do this and I'm here to help you. That's one of my, my big mantras is you can do this and I'm here to help you. And it, it makes a world of difference, um, in students' lives. So a lot of these things aren't terribly time-consuming or complicated, um, and we've got a lot of um, options for building that relationship. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of like changing people's habits. Like once they get into the flow, I think it you know, um, will be a lot more uh, like second nature, just the, the, that, like that, the language and the sure. availability and those sort of things. Yeah, so that's, that's great. Um, well, I guess, and I love that you're taking inspiration from like <laughs> biology and just like other podcasts that obviously aren't like solely directly like higher ed related, you know, just certain episodes might be just broadly more education related. So, I mean, is there anything else that, you know, specifically you'd want to recommend the show notes of things that you're like reading, watching and or listening to <laughs> um, yeah, as, as long or as short of a list as you might want to uh, to give there? But um, you know, sure. it's just like one of each or something. But Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, one of um, I'm going to recommend a couple books and then I'm going to probably, you know, kick myself for just saying a couple. But um, one of the ones I would recommend is called The College Fear Factor by Dr. Rebecca Cox. I think this should be required reading for everyone working in higher education. And it, uh, Dr. Cox did a research study of first-year students and their teachers, folks teaching the first-year English comp course at a community college. And it's incredibly insightful about how we can best support first-generation college students. And it is something I use in my work daily. Um, the other book that I would recommend is a book called Brain Rules by John Medina. Um, I'm very interested in um, the intersection between neuroscience and education. Um, Some of us call it brain-based teaching, neuroeducation, mind-brain education science, but that's a growing field that I would definitely encourage people to check out. There's a lot of good books on it. Another one's called NeuroTeach, Um, but Medina's was one of the first that I read and it really helped to give me an understanding of how the brain works, um, which is, I think, um, really important to being a good teacher. Um, one of the tenets of brain-based teaching is that the brain is the primary organ of learning. So it's important to know some of the fundamentals about how it works. And that's not something I think most of us were taught about in our, you know, education about education. Um, so I would definitely recommend that for folks who, um, who want to improve their teaching and learn a bit more about the brain. Very good. Um, 
and then yeah, I guess it is really related to the other podcast you mentioned, uh, Hidden Brain. Because um, yeah, I mean that's there's there is like a biological element to like just how human beings learn, but then like certainly just other um, perhaps like cultural factors and other stuff. But like that is I think a, an area where people might not um, have gotten as much uh, sort of covered um, in like graduate programs or, or whatnot. So yeah, um, very cool. Um, when I guess to, I don't, do you listen to, um, any other like podcasts that are like education related or anything? I don't know if that's kind of part of your podcast diet or if you're a big podcast listener. I am a podcast listener. I'm actually, um, so one of my roles is that I'm a writer for women in higher education. Um, and I'm actually (laughs) working on a piece for my, um, for next month's edition about my podcast routine and the podcast that I listen to and, um, and how it's loosely titled how I pod. So, um, po- yes, I love podcasts. Um, so if folks check out women in higher ed, you might be able to read it there, but I'll just, you know, I'll be very honest that my favorite podcast is Oprah's super soul podcast. And I just can't get enough. So mm. not higher ed related, but it certainly, <laughs> um, I think, you know, the art of being human is um, something that's important for those of us who work or study in higher ed as well. And that's something that's a big part of that podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, very people centered work. So, um, yeah, so that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Cause I, my, all mine are like, yeah, it's like all over the place. Um, but yeah, they end up being like kind of current events, like news or just sort of like the weird kind of background or context. Cause like I, I was a history major in undergrad. So just lo- I love under- knowing I love understanding why and how things happen. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of like good podcasts that always kind of like dig in really deeply with like, you know, a certain piece of news, but, um, so, uh, yeah, cause I get when, like, as of the recording of this, if you're posting it, uh, for next month, and I, I believe it might be out or people can check out the site and make sure that they're keeping an eye out for it. But, um, Great. Well, yeah, we'll link out to all those things. And then, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up the episode here on the optimistic note that I always love ending on um, of what is something or, you know, some things that you are looking forward to in your life, job and or the world. So any or all of those categories, just something that you're looking forward to. Mm, I'm really looking forward to July. (laughs) (laughs) I've been... um... I teach online and I've been teaching through the summers. My best guess is since around 2008. So um, we've always uh, been able to travel a bit in the summer and spend some time um, down the Jersey Shore, which is where I'm from. But I've always been teaching, you know, for a lot of that. And, uh, you know, I'd get up first thing in the morning and do some grading and then head to the beach. And I'm not complaining about that, but I haven't had time off in the summer for a very, very long time. So um, I've been very intentional about hopefully setting some time aside this summer to actually be, uh, you know, one of the the benefits of working remotely and online and having this sort of freelance career is that um, I have a ton of flexibility, but I'm also kind of always working. Um, mm-hmm. So um, you know, I would, anybody who's, who's interested in this, in this path, you know, that's important to know. So I'm going to hopefully be taking, I am, I'm not hopefully, I am going to be taking some time off this summer. And, um, I, I think I'm going to try to just sort of relax and do nothing and spend time with my family. So I'm, I'm really excited 
um, about that. Um, and I'm also really excited about the the return of Beverly Hills 90210. So, um, hmm. yeah, I think that is in the summer as well. So um, I'm a child of, um, you know, the 80s and 90s. So um, that's sort of a pop culture thing that I'm excited about. So that will be something I'm looking forward to as well. Yeah, yeah. So some good fun stuff coming up. It's great. Um, you know, we are currently living in, I think, the, the heyday of 90s nostalgia and reboots and revivals and, you know, revisited. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff. So great. Well, uh, I'm here for it all. I'm yeah, here for it all. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because like, I think some of the, it's just like really interesting, like storytelling where it's like, I don't think anybody needed it, but it can be really interesting. Just like characters say, like, yeah, well, where are they like 20 years later? Like, how, you know, just like. I don't know. It, it, it has to be obviously done well, and I think it has been done well in uh, you know a few different instances. But um, yeah, it's just fascinating that that's kind of like very much where we are. Like for entertainment right now is you know a lot of uh, a lot of those like revisited where it's not just mm-hmm. like you know oh like we're rebooting and it's like a new story or whatever. It's like no, we're literally picking up like as much time as it's been since the last episode of that show. Like we're gonna bring it back for another season or something. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, fascinating. Um, Great. Well, uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, making time to connect here and talk about all the good work that you're doing and uh, just sharing all that you did. So uh, we'll have ways to connect with you and all that you mentioned in the show notes uh, as usual. But um, yeah, just thanks for your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll be connecting on uh, social and Twitter and uh, whatnot uh, again here soon. Thank you so much, Justin. I really enjoyed it. And I appreciate you having me on your show. This podcast is part of the Connect EDU podcast network bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community. Check us out on Twitter at connectedupod or at connectedu.network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.